I want to extend a special welcome to you this morning. If you're new, my name is John. Uh, I'm the director here, and uh, it is always good to see some new faces as well as familiar faces uh, here. We're one church, multiple locations, and we, so we just want to say uh, welcome to the Hope Des Moines campus and know that you are uh, loved and welcomed here, uh, and welcome anytime. Um, pray that your summer's been going well, whatever you've been up to. I don't know, it's just me, does it kind of feel like we're in the dog days of summer now? It's hot, isn't it? It's just kind of like... <sighs> It's hard to breathe out there, right? We're not even to August yet, but I pray that you've had a good summer. And I know we've said this a lot, but God has not taken the summer off. He's been on the move here, uh, and we've been serving all over the city this summer, and a lot of you have been involved with those things. Uh, Life groups continue to meet throughout. I think we have multiple life groups meeting every single night of the week, uh, and and teams meeting and things like that. Um, We've been singing our lungs out here uh, on Sundays. Praise God for our worship team. Can we just give God praise for them? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it is just really good to be the church. And I just want to say that and, and remind us of that. Sometimes we get into this point of the summer and it's like, oh, I don't want to get out of bed. It's so, it's so hot out. It is good to be the church. Amen? It is really good to be the church. Just elbow the person next to you and say, hey, it's good to be the church. Oh, come on. Do it again. Let them know. Hey, say it like you mean it. Jeez Louise. Fakers. It's good to be the church. I'm half awake. That's why you're at the early service, because you can wake up early, right? That's, that's why we're here. So today we're continuing a, a series of messages called Since You Asked. And uh, we've been doing these at all of our campuses and, and working through uh, some different questions. And there's some big questions of life, and there's some really practical questions uh, about how we live out our faith. And I could not be more excited, in fact, stoked. That's my new word. I'm saying that all the time. I'm stoked. That means, like, you're excited, and then you're stoked. It's like one level above. So I am stoked. Uh, for our question uh, today, and it's simply this. What is so good about the good news? Have you ever wondered that? What is so good about the good news, the good news or the gospel, which comes from this Greek word, ewangelion, everybody say ewangelion, which basically where we get the word evangelist, meaning gospel or the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so if you were asked that question, the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done uh, and what he's done in your life. What is so good about the good news? You don't have to say it out loud, but just think to yourself, how would you answer that question? What would that look like? If somebody just came up to you and asked you that, what would you say? And I don't want some like generic Sunday school. I mean, I love Sunday school answers, but usually it's either Jesus or squirrel. Those are the two answers uh, for Sunday school answers. But how would you answer that? in a real, genuine, authentic way of what it means to you. Not to your parents, not to your friends, not to your small group, not to what you heard somebody else say to you. What is so good about the good news? And of all the issues and questions that we're facing as a church, that might be the most important, right? Because if we can't answer that question clearly and directly, what are we doing here, right? I mean, that's the reason we're here. We say that all the time. One of our values at Lutheran Church of Hope is that Jesus is life. He's everything. And the rest is just details. Okay? That's our number one value as a church. So we got to be able to answer this question. And I want you to give them a sermon when somebody asks you that. But I want to give you some key things to chew on today. And so we're going to discover what would, what would drive somebody to be sold out for the gospel. What does it look like to not only see the good news as good, but as great? 
And so we're going to discover that, and we're going to start in Matthew chapter 13, where we heard our scripture read. So if you've got your Bibles, everybody grab your Bibles, and if you need one, grab one from under the rows. I don't want to see any Bibles sitting on the floor. Uh, go ahead and grab one. There's enough for everybody. So make sure you pass those around. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. Matthew's the first one, about halfway through that. Encourage you to follow along today. So when we arrive on the scene, Jesus is, is teaching the crowds about the good news, or as he calls it, the kingdom of God, that the kingdom, this new reality, has come, and he's speaking in parables, which are basically stories, right? We love stories, right? We love going to movies, we love reading books, we love stories. Jesus knew that, and so to teach these complex theological principles, he tells stories. And so he just tells us this short little story that people hopefully can understand. So we start in verse 44, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven, a.k.a. Jesus saying, my arrival here on earth, the good news of Jesus, is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then, get this, in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Do you ever read the Bible and kind of laugh out loud? If you've never done that, I think you should. And you need to read the Bible more then, because it's hilarious. Do you, uh, did you catch that? Okay, this isn't just like, oh, that Jesus, that's a cute little parable. If I'm sitting there listening to Jesus, I'm going, are you crazy? That's what the kingdom is like? So a guy, get this, a guy goes out, finds a hidden buried treasure. What would you do if you found a hidden buried treasure that was worth millions of dollars? It's all mine, right? Right? And you take it and spend it or go to Disney World or something, right? So look at, and then because of the unexplainable joy in him discovering the treasure, he then proceeds to bury it in the same field as if he never found it, goes and sells everything that he has, and he doesn't need to do that, okay? Nobody told him he had to do that. He just goes and sells everything that he has, uses that money to buy back the field that he's already buried the treasure in that he already found, is anybody else scratching their head at the story? Right? This guy probably belongs in a loony bin, right? Is, from a worldly perspective, this doesn't make sense. But Jesus is saying, ah, but the kingdom is different. We're in a new reality now. Almost what Jesus is saying is this is the offer of the gospel. This is the offer of the good news that it brings you so much unexplainable joy as you discover what Jesus has done for you and that the kingdom is here, that you would, first of all, everything else pales in comparison. So I'm going to just go sell everything that I have. That would be one way of looking at it. But that every time we rediscover the joy and the beauty of the gospel, it's like finding a treasure for the first time. So the initial joy that this guy had, I'm guessing he's a farmer, he's working out in the field, the initial joy that he had was so much fun and so exciting and of so much value and worth that he wanted to do it all over again. And maybe that gives us a clue, every single one of us today, no matter if you're hearing this for the first time or the millionth time, maybe it's worth it to rediscover the beauty of the gospel over and over and over again because it never gets old. I wonder this morning, when is the last time that you were overcome by unexplainable joy 
because of the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. Not just, I believe it, it's good. When's the last time you were just consumed, overwhelmed? Whoa! I can't believe it! And then if somebody asked you what's so good about the good news, you're like, I just, I just I can't talk fast enough, I'm so excited. Right? I'm not just talking about outward expressions. I'm talking about unexplainable joy right here, where it really matters. What does that look like for you? When's the last time you were overcome with joy because of God's love? I got uh, a really good glimpse of that this past week as Andy talked about in announcements. We had Vacation Bible School. And the worship center at our West Des Moines campus is packed. And they shut off all the lights and all the kids have these glow lights and they're dancing around and streamers. It's like a full-blown revival. If you've ever been a part of a revival, right? This is like with 2,500 kids, a revival. So it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. Which, by the way, if you're ever having like a really bad, grumpy, kind of woe is me type day and you kind of hate your life and hate everything about the world, go to vacation Bible school, right? It's pretty hard to be grumpy when you're around 2,500 dancing, screaming kids. Because there ain't no party like a Jesus party. Amen? Amen? And we've discovered that here every single week as well. So we can learn something from these kids. So 2,500 kids jumping, dancing, singing their guts out for Jesus. That'll take care of your bad day pretty quickly. And so um, I'm, I'm in the back uh, helping out, you know, doing the actions, things like that. And we're talking about God's love. And the, they make all the kids do these actions. And if you want to do them, I, I know you're going to want to do them with me. You're not too cool for school, okay? So the, the actions, they're talking about the good news. They're talking about God's love. And the, all the kids are going like this because, whoa, God's love is so big. And there's so much of it. And there's always more of God's love. And so all the kids are going like, okay, where's it coming from? And they're all holding out their hands. God's love is so big. Oh, oh, here it comes. Get ready. I know you want to do the actions with me. Here it comes, everybody. Right, here it comes. And, and oh, I got it. Oh my word, there's too much of it. What, what am I going to do with it? Put it inside. Put it inside your heart. And all the kids, put it inside your heart. Oh, there's still some left over. I don't know what to do with the rest of it. There's still so much of it. I've got to share with all my friends. I've got to share with everybody because there's so much of it. Oh my word. Oh my word. And there's still more of it. That's why we all take naps after VBS, right? <laughs> and I'm watching all these kids do that. And you might say, oh, John i got to catch my breath. I'm out of shape. Um, you might say, you know, John, that is so cute for the little kiddos. That's really cute. But Christianity is a serious adult business. So let's get down to business and study the word. Um, you know who is having just as much fun, if not more fun, than the 2,500 kids? The adults. You better believe it. You see some of them up there on the screen. And so... Uh, I, I was standing in the back wondering, I'm watching a couple thousand volunteers to watch these kids. I'm watching a thousand volunteers that are our age, adults, having just as much fun and going crazy and sweating probably more than the kids. And I was wondering, maybe we need it more than they do. Maybe VBS is for the adults. Maybe we're the farmer in the field that needs to rediscover the treasure again and again and again. So I wonder, where did your joy go? Where did your joy go when it comes to the good news? Are we just kind of in the routine of coming to worship every single week and doing our thing? Because it's easy for us to get in a rut, to get in our routines of how we view 
the gospel. And if we're honest, sometimes instead of, you know, I don't know on these Bibles, but on a lot of Bibles, it'll say the good news Bible. I think if we're not careful, a lot of times we just unintentionally take a big old Sharpie marker. And because of the way that we view Christianity, we take a big old marker and take out good and change it to okay. Or mediocre. Or so-so. Not good. Not even great. Not because the message has changed, but because we change. And today my desire is that whether you've heard it for the first time or the millionth time, I pray that the gospel would still be the greatest news that you've ever heard in your life. Because there's a lot of bad news out there, isn't there? The world's desperate for good news. And so what would it look like for us to view the gospel like the crazy guy in the field? And so what I want to unpack today are three, what I want to call false narratives or myths about what we believe is so good about the good news. Okay? So if you can, turn to Romans chapter 7. I want to unpack the first one here for us. What is not the good news? That's what we're going to tackle first. Romans chapter 7. This verse, uh, this passage should be very familiar uh, to you. We've covered it a few times before. Romans chapter 7. And when you find it, say, I've got it. Romans chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 18. Chapter 7, verse 18. So Paul's nearing the end of this awesome letter of Romans, which if you've never read Romans, I would encourage you to do that. Verse 18. And Paul has reached kind of the climax of the letter. And he's reached this place in his life where he is really struggling. And he says in verse 18, And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. And I have a feeling that some of us here this morning might be able to relate, right? Can you relate with Paul at all? Every time I try to do something good, every time I try to get my ducks in a row and get my life together, I feel like I take a couple steps back. Every time I try to not sin, sometimes I sin. Paul's saying, there's all these things I shouldn't do, but I do them anyway. And Paul's saying, it's like there's this battle, like there's a civil war within me, between my flesh, my sinful nature, and between the Spirit of God that was put in there when I started following Jesus, when I was saved. There's a civil war of sorts. I don't know if you've ever felt that way as well, that there's this person you want to be, but you just can't quite get there. I don't know what that feels like for you. But Paul goes on to say, look at verse 23. He says, don't get me wrong, or excuse me, verse 22, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war within my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Now, this sounds like a guy that's got some real issues, right? They think, man, he needs Jesus. It's Paul! Like after Jesus, maybe one of the greatest Christians of all time, responsible for planting thousands of churches, discipling thousands, maybe millions of people in his reach. This is Paul. And at this point in his journey, he's been following Christ for almost 15 years. He's not new to this whole thing. He's a leader. And what I believe that that Paul's asking in a roundabout way is, is this it? Is this what following Jesus is? is all about. And what we'll call it today is the gospel or the good news of sin management. Everybody say management. Management. Doesn't it just, that's just riveting, isn't it? 
I was saved so that I could manage my sin well. Doesn't that just get your blood boiling? Get you really excited? I can't wait to get up this morning and make sure I manage all my sin. Is that the good news? I sure hope not, but that's what Paul is wrestling with here. The idea that maybe all there is to Christianity is fighting against your sinful nature and trying a little bit harder to be a better person. Boy, that doesn't sound like good news to me. It doesn't sound like the unexplainable joy of discovering a treasure over and over, for somehow we're missing the mark here. Reminds me of a conversation, conversations like this that happen all too often, and that's why you hear me talking about them a lot, uh, with a friend here in town. So we met up for coffee, and we just got to talking pretty honestly and openly about where he was at. And I could have sworn I was sitting across from the Apostle Paul, and he was speaking Romans chapter 7 to me. Like literally, he's saying, John, there's this person I want to be. But I can't, I can't get there. I can't do that. He said, I've been a Christian for a long time. I grew up in the church. I went to Sunday school. I've done Bible studies. I, I'm a seasoned Christian. I don't even know if those words came out of his mouth. He said, I, I've, been, I've been serving. I've been active in the community. I'm in a small group. And this describes a majority of you. So we're all in the same boat here. This guy's not some you know, guy with huge issues. We're all there. And he says, I, I've prayed the prayers I think I'm supposed to pray. I, I've, I've read my Bible. I, I've committed my life to God. He said, I've even recommitted the recommitment of my recommitment. <laughs> and I'm just getting exhausted listening to him. And then he says, John, the Bible says I'm free. But why do I keep going back to the same sinful patterns and habits again and again and again? He said, John, it's almost embarrassing to say these things because, gee whiz, after all these years, don't you think I should have this figured out by now? And he says, okay, preacher man, what's my deal? And I said, dude, I don't know. That's messed up. Good luck. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That's not what I said. That's how how I do counseling if you come (laughs) for counseling. So I'm listening, and I consoled him, and I encouraged him, but I'm just listening, and I couldn't help but think, wow, this is it, huh? This is what Jesus went to the cross for, so that we could just have more things to feel guilty about. Is that it? Is that why we gather every single week? And so I found him believing the gospel of sin management. And I could not help but think that that's not what Jesus has in mind. And he's right. On our own, there isn't much hope. On our own power to make things happen in our lives, there isn't much hope. Makes me think of this guy. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Uh, You recognize this guy? A little bit smaller version uh, than you might be used to. But a couple years ago, this was a, a Super Bowl commercial for the car company Volkswagen. And I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but I cannot help but watch this commercial. And as you watch it, there's a lot of truth in here about our struggle against sin. And so in our struggle, see if you can't identify with this little guy in his struggle to use his own power to make things happen. Let's take a look. It's the car starter that works every time. As you're watching that, though, it's not just, oh, wow, that was kind of cute. Think about it. Every single one of us is the little Vader going around to every bad habit and every sin and everything that we're trying to kick to the curb in our lives, and we're going, force, willpower, motivation, change, move that ugly habit, change, 
Try as we might, no amount of willpower or superhero Christianity is going to make a difference until we discover that there is a power outside of ourselves that's our Father working behind the scenes. And maybe that's what God's calling us to do today. In fact, I think Paul would agree. He feels the same way that little Vader does. Let's read this together up on the screen. This is verse 17 from the message translation. Let's read it together. But I need something more. I obviously need help. I can will it, but I can't do it. So Paul, at the end of his end of chapter 7, he, he comes to this realization. I'm at the end of my rope. Does anybody have any suggestions? Because I can't change. I can't be the person that I want to be. And my question for you this morning is, what do you do when you reach the end of your rope? What do you do on those days when you just can't make it? What do you do in your life when you run into things that are bigger than you? Mostly sin and death. Two things you will never be able to defeat on your own. What do you do when your good religion isn't enough to change you? When your goodness, when your church attendance, when your parents' faith, when your checkbook, when your titles, when your positions, all those things aren't good enough to save you from yourself. What do you do? And so at the end of chapter 7, look at that with me. The end of chapter 7, Paul is, is talking. Go to verse 24. I almost imagine Paul standing up on top of his desk. Chapter 7 is coming to this giant crescendo. And Paul stands up and he says this, What a wretched man I am. And he just describes it. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And I want to hear you read this, verse 25 up on the screen. Let's read it nice and loud like you mean it. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul reaches the end and he says there's hope. There's hope for you today. And you've got to know that, he says. We have a Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ, who comes to us and says the good news is that it was never about you. Life is not about you, but about, God says, what I am doing and have already done in you. Not to say that we will not struggle. But when your sinful nature rears its ugly head, we turn not to our own strength, but to the cross, so we can call that sin for what it is, dead. Amen? Nailed to the cross through the power of Jesus Christ, because we will fall. The question is not, will you or won't you fall? We will fall, we will fail, but when we do, because of what Jesus has done, on the spot, you admit it, you confess it, we thank God that we're forgiven, and we move on. Turn to your neighbor and say, move on. We move on, not because sin isn't serious, not because sin isn't serious, but because we're taking seriously who God says we are, holy, pure, redeemed, forgiven. When Jesus Christ looks at you today, what do you believe he says about you? Screw up? Sinner? Holy, pure, redeemed, forgiven. The gospel, the good news, is not that we have to manage our sin constantly comparing ourselves to other people. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus Christ has already done the performing for you, and so we can just rest in that grace. Amen? So it's not sin management 
We know that, but it doesn't end there. You might say, John, that's good news. And it is really good news. But that's not all there is to it. There is so much more. Paul doesn't come to this dramatic conclusion in Romans chapter 7 to say, there's your warm fuzzy for today. God loves you. Go home. He says, no, take that reality and live every single day like it's true. We will miss a large portion of the Christian life if we think that the good news is only what we have been saved from and we never consider what might you be saved for. Ever thought about that? What have I been saved from? Well, sin, death, and the power of hell, but what am I saved for? What now? And that's the next question that Paul turns to. Go to Galatians 5 with me, the book of Galatians chapter 5. A few books after Romans. Corinthians is in the middle there. Go to Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to pick it up in verse 13. So Paul's continuing on and he's encouraging the church in Galatia. What now? Okay, you've been saved. You've received this gift. What now? Pick it up in verse 13. Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, so he's speaking to us here this morning, were called to be, what? Free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Don't go run back and put those chains on again, Paul says. Don't use it to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. If there's any mistake that we can make today, it's believing that radical grace is an ending point rather than a launching pad. Oh, I've been saved. Praise God. I'm going to put my feet up and sip lemonade until heaven. Is that Christianity too? Is that the gospel? I think grace is just the beginning. I don't know about you, but when I think about God's radical grace, I think of a trampoline. I knew you were thinking about trampolines this whole week too. So I got a trampoline up here. It's from 1974. I hope it doesn't break when I stand on it. Um... God's grace makes me think of a trampoline because a lot of times what we think is, I have been saved. I have received this gift from God. Wow, that's amazing. That's it. Now, wouldn't it be silly if this was a brand new trampoline, not from 1974, and I received it as a gift. My parents gave it to me for Christmas, let's say, which they didn't, but we're going to pretend for today. And they gave it to me, and I have always wanted a trampoline. In fact, I need a trampoline to survive. I have to have a trampoline. And imagine they gave it to me and I go, wow, this is great. Woo! It's an amazing gift. What's what's wrong with this picture? You're not using it, right? You're not stepping into it. You're not living into it. You never get to go jumping. That's the problem. And I wonder if we do the same thing with the free gift of God's grace. If we go most of our lives thinking, wow, this is great. I have been set free from the power of sin, death, and hell. Yes. This is Christianity. You're going to remember this. I guarantee it. Some of you are going to go home and buy a trampoline. I guarantee it, right? But Paul says, no, instead we have been saved for, what does the verse say? Radical freedom to serve one another humbly in love. Freedom for what? To do whatever we want? No, but to experience a joy that you can't find outside of serving other people other than yourself. When we've experienced God's love and grace, we cannot help but have that grace get under us and be a launching pad as we are launched into mission, 
Every single day when you get up and rediscover the treasure of God's radical grace, when you step out of bed, imagine that there is a trampoline right by the side of your bed. And Jesus Christ says, this is who you are today. So go live like it's true and be launched into your day knowing that God's grace is underneath you. Amen? That's the picture, I believe, that God, that, that Paul is painting for us here. We get outside of ourselves. Now think about this for a second. In other words, Paul's calling us to, to get busy living. Has anybody ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? There's this one line in there where the character Red says, here's the choice we all have to make. You can either get busy living or get busy dying. You can either stand and admire the trampoline or you can get busy jumping. What have you been saved for this side of heaven? And so often we find ourselves believing that the good news, the gift that we've received, means we get to go to heaven someday. Is that the gospel? Yes, that's a part of it. But not just so you can write it out and survive. I love how John puts it in John chapter 17. This is up on the screen. Let's read this together. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now you look at the word eternal right there. It's a powerful word. And a lot of you are thinking eternal means with God in the clouds someday forever. An eternal church service singing. For some of you guys, that sounds like hell probably, right? That's our, our picture of heaven. In fact, but when Jesus talks about eternal life, the verb here in the Greek is ionios. Everybody say ionios. Ionios is not just describing, when you, when you dig into that, the, the verb in the Greek is not just describing a, qual, a quantity of time, which we often think it does, but is a quality and a character of the time here and now. So the verb Ionios in the Greek means perpetual, meaning it always will be, it always has been, which means it's happening now. Which means eternal life is not something that we sit around killing time waiting for in the future. Yes, it will go on forever and we will be with God forever. But AKA, eternal life starts now. Ionios Zoe, eternal life. Jesus is saying, step into that Zoe today. That's the offer of the gospel. The good news isn't simply, how do I get to heaven someday? But maybe the good news is, how can I start bringing heaven to earth now? We ask that question a lot. The question is, do you know where you're going to go when you die? Don't get me wrong. That's a really important question. But to me, that question ends right here. Yes, I am saved. I am standing on a trampoline. What if we started asking the question, if you knew you were going to live forever, how would you live now? How would the quality of your life change? How would you start to live differently if you knew that eternal life started right now here today, Sunday, July 21st? How would you live? A lot differently than just killing time, huh? How do we get the kingdom here? And I want you to know you're doing that in so many ways. 
The kingdom is coming in so many ways. There's a reason that Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is in heaven. He wouldn't tell us to pray like that unless he wanted us to be the answer to our own prayer. Thy kingdom come. The question is not just do you believe the good news, the question is are you being good news? Are you being good news to your family, to your friends, to the city around you? And there's many, many ways that you've been doing that. I just want to point out a few for you. Just in this past year, I don't know if you know this as a congregation, thousands of pounds of food have been donated to local schools, churches, and shelters during our Super Bowl food drive. Over 200 nets of hope were provided to help end malaria in Africa. Over 1,000 hot dogs, or as we like to call them, hope dogs, were launched at people in the Beaverdale Parade. Over 20 of you, over 20 of you have mentored elementary school-age children that don't have parental role models in the home. You've provided Christmas gifts and home furnishings for multiple refugee families from the country of Burma, and you helped start and resource a new church of Liberian refugees on the east side of Des Moines. Praise God for that. Yeah, give God praise for that. And you might think, oh, John, that's great, but that's all out there. But if you look closely around you today, the kingdom has come in the people sitting next. Just kind of look around you right now. I know. Just kind of look at the people next to you. Just, just, just give them a big old grin. <laughs> Marriages have been healed. Friends have discovered what it means to be accepted for the first time. Addictions have been overcome. Physical pain and suffering has been healed, and even when it's not, they've still found peace. And here's the best part. Everything I just described outside these walls and everything I just described in your own lives has nothing to do with us, and it has everything to do with the gift of God's grace, the fact that he gave us the trampoline to go jumping on in the first place. Because on our own, there's nothing, there's nothing there. There's no spring under your step. But we've been able to do all those things only because of God's grace. And it would have never happened if we would have just settled for admiring the gift. Of all the questions of life, here's maybe the most important. What are you going to do with that gift today? Are you going to admire it? Cognitively, cognitively believe it? Or are you going to pass off today as one more church service? Are you going to take Jesus up on his call to get busy living for the first time? Which actually leads us to, the, I think, the third lie that we often believe about the good news, and it's simply this. It's not for me. John, I'm not a trampoline kind of guy. That's not what I'm talking about. We think, oh, the good news, that sounds a little bit too good to be true. I don't know where you're at this morning, but you might be saying, you know what? I've never had that connection before. John, I, I think I've got better things to worry about. John, I'm actually really worried about what people are going to think of me and my reputation if I start becoming one of those Jesus people. They're just weird. It's got so much joy. I don't really need to get all worked up about it. After all, John, it's just a religion, isn't it? Or maybe for you today, you're just sitting there going, I... I feel so disconnected today and I don't even know where to start. And no matter where 
you're at today. I love what Jesus says in the gospel of Luke chapter 19, verse 10. And this is what he says to you today. You ever wonder what it'd be like to have Jesus look at you in the eyes, say something to you? Just you? He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. I love that verse. A.K.A. he is after you. He is pursuing you today. He is after your heart. And he wants all of you. Whether you're lost in your sin, you're lost in your fears and your complacency, in your hang-ups about this whole church thing, if you've had a bad experience before, even if you're lost in your pride that's just too stubborn to change. He came to seek and save that was lost, and that includes you. And that includes your joy. Would you believe that his love is for you? That he's calling us to believe the gospel today as if we were a little kid, discovering it for the first time. And so maybe those VBS kids are really on to something with how huge God's love is. That first we're called to put it inside, down deep, way down deep. But there's too much of it to keep to ourselves And so we give it away. We start jumping on that trampoline that we're first called to receive it and then we're called to give it away. That's the kind of news that's worth celebrating. And so last week I was standing in the back watching this revival of kids and I was like kind of dancing and clapping along, but I was trying to like be a pastor. You know, we got to be pretty cool, right? Don't want to get too excited. And this little like seven or eight year old girl comes up from behind me and she kind of tugs on my shirt like that. And I don't know, everybody's calling me uh, Pastor Dude or something like that. She goes, hey, Pastor Dude. And with all the sass of a seven or eight-year-old girl, she looks at me and, you know, the whole worship center is just going crazy, right? Just singing and dancing and going crazy. And she looks right at me and she goes, hey, Pastor Dude, are you too cool to dance or what? Are you too cool to dance? Or what? And you know what I did? I looked right at her and I go, no! And I just started going crazy and she ran away screaming. (laughs) Just the way I like it. Are you too cool to dance or what? Are you too strong to be weak today? Are you too serious to have any joy in your life? Are you too lost to not be found? I don't think so. Jesus says, don't be too cool to dance. Don't be, because I'm offering you this life today. So today, we're not just going to talk about the good news. We're going to celebrate that good news, that we have been saved from sin, death, and hell, and you have been saved for a life of living, of expanding the kingdom. And I sure hope that you're not cool too, too cool to dance, because I'm not, and we're going to sing. So I want you to stand on up, and we're going to sing deep cries out. Let's start clapping, and let's worship God together.